Well, Father, once again, we approach your word with extreme reverence and yet extreme joy because you are our dad. But Father, this word has set me free and it's set anybody and everybody free that's ever come to it. Hallelujah. And even in that, Father, it continues to absolutely, um, well, it's just remarkable to me how we have within our reach right now this book of books, again, that's been changing lives for thousands of years. When I look back at history and I see how throughout all history, anybody and everybody that has hearkened under the truths and the precepts of your wisdom have been made free. They've changed not only their own lives, but families. Whole cities have been changed. Whole nations have been changed by individuals who have taken a hold of your word and have taken a hold of the truth and the life, this eternal truth that's been rocking the ages ever since it was released. So tonight, once again, Father, we're asking for that anointing of your Holy Spirit to teach us, to guide us into truth, to show us things to come, to open up the eyes of our understanding, to help us to see what we did not see before, to hear what we did not hear before, to bring us new truth and to reawaken old truth whatsoever because we yield ourselves to you, Holy Spirit. And I really mean that. I yield myself again to you. We don't just say those things as little preachers' prayers. We actually trust you, Father. I'm leaning my entire human personality over on to you as hard as I understand how to. And I'm asking once again that you would please use me and please help us all to have ears to hear what your spirit would say through these eternal words. In Jesus' name, we roll the care of it over on you even before we begin. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to go back to Mark chapter 4 where we left off. As we continue through this teaching of the sower and the word of God, our hearts, our spirit, our heart being the soil with which God desires that we would have implanted in it his eternal word that always has birthed eternal promises. So I want to start off and read again from Mark 4, chapter 14, where Jesus was speaking. We just began to really get into this, and there's some things I want to share that I wrote down this afternoon. But the sower sows the word, he said. Verse 15, the ones along the path are those who have the word sown in their hearts, but when they hear, Satan comes at once and by force takes away the message which is sown in them. And remember when we finished, I just made reference to that fact that this is the pattern. Everything that happens in the Bible, you'll find patterns within. The moment the message comes, Satan comes. And as my old spiritual father used to say many years ago, if there's any good thing you can say about Satan, it's that he's consistent. And he's on his job, whether we are or not. Every single time a fresh message from heaven comes, you should expect something to come to try to steal it. So often people will tell me, you know, well, I just don't understand why all these trials and tribulations come my way. And I normally look at them and say, well, it could be because you're a Christian. Because First Peter says, why do you think it's strange? Why? Have you ever actually thought about how he words it? Why do you think it's strange? concerning the fiery trials that have come to try your faith as if something foreign to your vocation has happened to you. The other day in the office, somebody was saying something about this next prayer uh, gathering we're going to have in July with Rick Joyner and some other people. And this one fellow said to me, well, don't you know that some of those people you're inviting are rather controversial? And I just shouted and everybody laughed at me. I said, controversial? I said, I chose Christ. I chose controversy. I mean, in the midst of this Christianity, is, you know, if you want a life without, excuse me, controversy, is that how I should say it? Oh, tough. I'm going to say controversy. If you want a life without controversy, you came into the wrong organization as far as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ because this is controversial. It will be the final end-time controversy, for that matter, because the real issue that's going to rear its head at the end of all time is that the world is going to look at us and rightfully accuse of us of being exclusive. Because we will be put in a position where we will be asked, 
why we don't allow so many other ways to God, and we will have to stand up and say, there is only one way to God. And they will accuse us and say, you're being extremely exclusive, and you're going to hopefully say, guilty as charged. There's one way to God. That's going to be one of the major, major, major issues in the last days, because there's one way to God, and that's through the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. But Jesus said here, four types of soil... The first one, he says in verse 15, he said, are those who are along the path, the ones along the path are those who have the word sown in their hearts, but when they hear, when they hear, when they hear, Satan comes at once and by force takes away the message which was sown in them. Verse 16 says, and in the same way, the ones sown upon stony ground. So the sum where the seed is just thrown along the side, but then he said, stony ground are those who, when they hear the word, at once they receive it and accept it and welcome it with joy. But there's a problem because the ground is so stony. Remember, the soil is speaking of the condition of the human heart. But the ground is so stony that they only endure for a little while. Because then it says, when trouble. Now, now watch this because this is something that, again, you should all be aware of. It says, when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word. Now, just hear that. Trouble and persecution will always arise on account of the word. One of the first things that happens when you really make a decision to follow the things of God and you begin to let others know about it, trust me, persecution begins to come. And you'll find yourself uh, being dismissed in your own church circles and all manner of situations will happen because of a stand that you begin to make. Everything God does, he does by levels. Everything about God is done by way of progressive revelation. That's why there's all these passages in the scripture where you'll see again that God's word says his desire is to take you from strength to strength, from faith to faith, from glory to glory. There's different levels, and as we mature in the things of God, we begin to be promoted. If you're faithful in one area, God's a good, 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 good employer. He will promote you, but by reason of promotion, you'll find yourself working on another level with different people, and, and by virtue of that, some people who you used to work with on the second floor, now that you're on the third floor, will begin to look at you and say, well, you don't love us anymore. And you have to be able to say, it has nothing to do with not loving you. It's just that the Lord's allowed me to see this. But nevertheless, the scripture says that stony ground represents people who receive the word with gladness of heart, but trouble and persecution always arises on account of the word. And it says then that when that happens, they immediately become offended and they become displeased and indignant, resentful, and they stumble and they fall away. And I've watched that happen for many years, very sadly. When I was principal of a Bible school, I had a gentleman who came, I, uh, well, he was part of a very, very well-known church in Oxford, and he was actually a lecturer at one of the colleges. And this fellow came to the school, and his life was transformed, absolutely transformed. In about four months of sitting under the Word of God, his life was absolutely transformed. A very, very intellectual gentleman, wonderful man, and I loved this fellow. I mean, I got to know him well, and I loved him. About six months into the school, though, I began to see him begin to kind of uh, just be drawn away. And he, he, you know, where he had this huge smile every time he came, it was the, he would testify over and over again about the greatest investment he ever made was his drive from, from Oxford over to us where he was listening to the Word of God. And he was being transformed. And, but I began to see this kind of distance come into his spirit, and I tried to talk to him a couple of times, and ultimately I found out, and he came to me one day, and he said, I'm going to have to leave the school. And I said, well, why? And he said, well, he said, you see, the church I'm part of, he said, it's the church that we've been part of all of our life. He said, my children are there. He said, I have teenage children that are still there. He said, every group that they associate with is within this church. He said, my wife, everything we do is surrounded by the groups that are part of this church. And he said, I've tried to share with them some of this message that I know to be true. But he said, I'm faced with a choice. He said, if I actually hold on to this message, this truth that I now know is truth, he said, it'll mean me being kicked out of this church. And he said, I have to consider my family. And he actually said it with tears in his eyes. He said, because otherwise, he said, my wife in this community will not have friends. And he said, it's become this much of an issue. And I don't want to give you all the details, but it so hurt me for him. And I said, well, 
I said, it is a choice that you're faced with. And I said, it doesn't mean that you have to come out of the church. I said, because of the issue is, you know, God wants you to be salt and light wherever you're at. And maybe it's a way of learning how to communicate what you're learning with grace. Because as I always teach, you know, the Bible says the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And that you must have the grace of God. It's the grace that qualifies you to administer the truth. And so, uh, you know, you need to pray that God will give you a greater grace so that you won't, uh, what you're sharing maybe won't be offensive so quickly and that you can still consider the people and, you know, offer them and not, not compromise on, on what uh, the word of the Lord says. And, of course, you remember, I don't know if I shared it yesterday, today, or whatever, but in John, well, it was just morning, I think, wasn't it, where John, where Jesus said in the book of John how many of the Pharisees and Sadducees believed on him, but they would not confess him lest, they would be, lest they'd get kicked out of the synagogue and how it broke the Lord's heart. But this brother got to the place where he had to make a decision, and basically he made the decision in lieu of his family, and I had to honor that, and of course, you, you, you have to, don't you? Because he was making decisions that were based upon his family. But I never will forget him sitting in my office and actually weeping and saying, I know that this is the truth. I know that this is the truth. I know that this is the truth. But he said, I have to leave, he said, because of my family. And I said, well, brother, I said, I'll honor that. And I said, I have no problem with that. I mean, you know, I'll pray for you. Just, just hold fast to the word of the Lord, though. Hold fast to the truth that God's shown you. And, you know, I wish I could stand here today and tell you that he had, but I never will forget about a year later, because he left the school, but a year later, now this was a man who, quote, unquote, loved me, and I loved him. Didn't see him for a year, and a year later, I got a, the most vitriolic letter from this fellow telling me that I was a heretic, uh, telling me how I was a false this and a false that and all this and how dare I ever have polluted his spirit with such da-da-da-da-da. And he just went on and on and on. And, and he'd basically gotten so poisoned uh, because of the pressure of the tradition of where he was that he had succumbed to it and become actually the most miserable of men. And I happened to see him a few years after that once, and this fellow is the most miserable man I've ever met in my life. And it just broke my heart because I'd seen him with the greatest joy that he'd ever known when the truth of God's word had, had actually imploded into his spirit. But Jesus speaks of this all the time because, you see, when you come to the things of God and to the truth of God's word, it will not necessarily make you the most popular person on the block. Did you hear me? You do understand that the only people, remember, that Jesus Christ ever had a problem with was religious people. He never had a problem with sinners. Sinners loved him because he never judged one of them. If there was one word that marked the whole life of Jesus Christ, it's the word acceptance. People felt accepted. People did not feel condemned in his presence. Jesus was a friend to sinners. But religious people hated him because they represented, he represented something that they could not fathom and something that would upset and ruin everything that they did. So it speaks to this kind of ground here, but if you'll just hear that again. People on stony ground are people that when they first hear the word, they're excited and they receive it with great joy. It says, but when persecution arises and trouble arises, and I just want to say again, understand that's part of this journey. When you make a decision to take hold of the full gospel, you see there's a lot of gospels, but then there's the full gospel. And I don't mean a denomination. There's the full gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ where you really give yourself to look and to search everything that the grace of God has made available. And when you make a decision to begin to walk into that, I guarantee you there will be persecution arise. That's all I can say. And you have to be gracious about it because we're not called to batter people or condemn people. We're called to be the love of God in action, aren't we? No man hath at any time seen God, but if we would love one another, God would dwell in us. It's still my favorite message of all time, the love walk. But the whole issue being that the only way the world is designed to ever see God is when they see him in us, loving each other in spite of each other, not because of each other. Do you know what I mean? But nevertheless, let me keep to this or else I'll get in trouble. The ones on the stony ground are those who, when they hear the word, at once receive and accept it and welcome it with joy, but they have no real root in themselves. And so they endure for a little while. Then when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, they immediately are offended. They become displeased, indignant, resentful. They stumble and they fall away. And then he speaks to the word to those, the category of people who have a lot of thorns and, and growth of other things in their heart. And here he explains what they are in verse 18 and 19. He said, and the ones sown among the thorns are others who hear the word, but then 
and I love how the Amplified speaks to this, the cares and the anxieties of the world, the distractions of the age, and the pleasure and the delight and the false glamour and deceitfulness of riches, and the craving and the passionate desire for other things creep in and choke and suffocate the word, and it becomes fruitless. If you can imagine the imperishable seed of God, the eternally created seed of God that has inherit in it all of the promises of God, that inherits, that has within it all of the faithfulness of God, can be made of no effect, can bear no fruit because of other things that are in our spirit. I mean, you really have to hear that. This is why you have to meditate on the Word of God and go over it again and again and again, because people all the time say, well, if it's God's Word, why doesn't it work? And we're always saying, listen, God's seed always, God's the best farmer on earth. God has the best seed there is. The issue is never the seed. The issue is the condition of the soil, and we're the ones that have to determine what we do with the soil of our heart, how we keep it cultivated and what have you. Then, of course, he says that the final type of soil is what he calls good ground. And he said, and those sown on the good, well-adapted soil, he said, are the ones who hear the word and receive and welcome it and bear fruit some 30 times as much as was sown, some 60 times as much, and some even 100 times as much. Now, I'm going to read a few things that I just wrote this, morning, this afternoon when I was in, back at the room. Jesus said to some of his own people in his day, My word has no place in you. My word has no place in you. And so I wrote down, I said, What place, I mean, what place should the word of God have in us? He said to these people, My word has no place in you. What place should the word of God have in us? It ought to obtain and retain an inside place in our thoughts, our memory our conscience and our affections. It ought to retain in us a place of honor, reverence, faith, love, and obedience, and it ought to retain a place of final authority in our lives. Do you know what I mean? This is why we used to say that all the time, that the word of the Lord is to have final authority. In other words, when every other voice speaks, the word of the Lord should be the loudest voice you hear. There are many voices in this world, but the word of the Lord needs to be the loudest voice that you hear. You know, last year I testified about when a year ago or whenever, whenever it was, you know, how a doctor looked at me and said, took some, you know, did a bone marrow biopsy on me and said, uh, because they saw something was wrong with my blood. And he said to me, uh, you know, just, well, we're going to discover, we're going to send these tests to Los Angeles. And he said, find out, and he gave two choices, find out if it's bone cancer or leukemia. And, uh, you know, it's always helpful when a doctor says something that simple to me. <laughs> And just out of my spirit, as I said, just roared out of my spirit, but out of my mouth just came, in the name of Jesus Christ, I do not have cancer. It is not my destiny. And there was just this truth. When voices come, but I want to tell you, uh, like I shared the last time we were here, you know, that rocked my world for a while. I'm not Superman. The thoughts, the opportunity for that stuff to roll through my soul, it just began to come and to hit me and to strike me and to hit me and to strike me and to hit me and to strike me. And I had to make a decision, like the old song, whose report will you believe? And I had to make the decision whether or not I would receive or, re or believe the report of the Lord or the report of a doctor. And that may sound simplistic because we've heard those testimonies before, but I can stand here today and tell you I'm, I have no cancer whatsoever in this big old body of mine. Amen. And it's because I have made a decision to hide the word of the Lord in my heart. Now, with that, I want to turn to Psalm 119, because while, you know, there's 176 verses in Psalm 119, and to my understanding, when I've studied, there are only two verses in the whole psalm that do not have a reference to the word of God. But I just want to read a few of them, because, you know, this was written by the great psalmist of Israel. When you really want to know the heart of the worshiper, of the heart of a psalmist, it's incredible. David is the only person in Scripture called a psalmist. David is the one person in Scripture that God says is a man after his own heart, right? David was also known as the most successful combatant in all Scripture. I mean, this dude was bad. You know what I mean? Oh, well. Excuse my California slang there. But this guy, I mean, knew his God, and there were mighty, mighty, mighty things that took place. But just 
especially from the Amplified Bible, but I tell you, this, you should take all of Psalm 119 and just make it a prayer. That's something I've done for years. But let me just give you a few. I wrote down a bunch of them today. But just at the beginning, Psalm 119, from the first 11 verses, if you'll allow me to read this much scripture, it said, blessed, happy. Now, again, because I read from an Amplified Bible, it'll sound much different than yours if you don't have one. But listen to this psalmist. Listen to this man, this sweet minstrel of Israel. Listen to him. Listen to what else he had. Listen to where his focus was throughout all this, this entire psalm, longest psalm in the psalms. Blessed and happy and fortunate to be envied are the undefiled, the upright, the truly sincere and the blameless in the way of the revealed will of God who walk and order their conduct and conversation in the law of the Lord in the whole of God's revealed will. Verse 2. Blessed, happy, fortunate to be envied are those who keep his testimonies and who seek and inquire for and of him and crave him with the whole heart. Yes, they do no unrighteousness, no willful wandering from his precepts. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts, that we should observe them diligently. Now, I have to stop here and remind you that remember the book of Psalms is what? It was the Jews' song book, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Oh, this is, what, this is another what they call a didactic psalm. If you study them, didactic psalms meant they were teaching psalms. The way they would teach the children was through song. And all of this that we were reading, you know, was sung to the people and sung over and over again. How many of you know like our kids today, they may not be able to quote scripture, but they can rehearse every verse of a song they like in an instant because words put to music, you'll remember so much quicker. It's because it's something that was born of God. You do know that music was born of God, don't you? That's why when we have the Word of God with the music of God, you have the message of heaven so often that people receive where they won't receive it in another way. But if you can see David with that lyre, I mean, use your spiritual imagination. And of course, I'm sure he wasn't the amplified version. <laughs> but that's not the point. If you can see his heart, what is he communicating? See, put yourself in the seat of these people and listen to what he's communicating to all of the sons of Israel all the people of God. He's the king of Israel, isn't he? He's the king of Israel at this time. And he's singing these things off the balcony of the, of the city of David. Hallelujah. I mean, you've got to see it. You know, this is what the man did. They knew him as this. He was abandoned in his love for God to the point that, again, you know, his own wife freaked out because of his abandonment to God. But he said, you have commanded us, verse 4, to keep your precepts, that we should observe them diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed and established to observe your statutes, hearing, receiving, loving, and obeying them. Then shall I not be put to shame by failing to inherit your promises when I have respect to all your commandments. I will praise and give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn by sanctified experiences your righteous judgments, your decisions against and punishments for particular lines of thought and conduct. I will keep your statutes, O oh, forsake me not utterly. How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed and keeping watch on himself according to your word, conforming his life to it. With my whole heart have I sought you, inquiring for and of you and yearning for you. Oh, let me not wander or step aside, either in ignorance or willfully from your commandments. For your word have I laid up in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, why I'm reading all this is because I'm talking about Jesus Christ or Paul saying, or Jesus rather saying, my word hath no place in you. Like we've been talking about for hours now, the word of God desires to have a place in your spirit because whatever you have in your spirit, I repeat, you will always gravitate to the level of. I'm going to say the thing over and over again till you either get mad at me and leave or till you hear it. What you have in your spirit is what you'll always go to the level of. What? That's why, again, we have to see you under pressure before we find out what is really in your spirit because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is going to speak. And so it's like taking a lemon and cutting the top off a lemon and squeezing it. When I squeeze you, I find out what's inside of you. That's, how some, that's why good pastors sometimes, if they know what they're doing, every once in a while they'll give you a little squeeze. Oh, well, you'll get that later. <laughs> but the point is, because we have to find out what's in your heart, because your heart from it precede the issues of life. 
That's why he wants your heart so cleansed and he wants it free because he wants the good seed of his word to be planted in there. But let me just run through a bunch of these. If you look at just verse 20, I mean, again, if you can hear his heart, what place did God's word have in David's heart? Verse 20 says, My heart is breaking with the longing that it has for your ordinances and judgments at all times. Verse 44 through 50. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, hearing, receiving, loving, and obeying it. And I will walk at liberty and at ease, for I have sought and inquired for and desperately required your precepts. Remember what I said? Every verse in this psalm, other than two that I can find, have a reference to his word, his testimony, his laws, his judgments, his precepts. Verse 46, I will speak of your testimonies also before kings and will not be put to shame. For I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. My hands also will I lift up in fervent supplication to your commandments, which I love. And I will meditate on your statutes. Remember fervently the word and promise to your servant in which you have caused me to hope. So that's what will cause you to hope if you'll just have this word of God planted so deeply in your own heart. Verse um, 50 says, This is my comfort and consolation in my affliction, that your word has revived me and given me life. Hallelujah. It's like the book of Daniel. I mean, all through Scripture, these men who we venerate and read after, the book of Daniel, Daniel said, you spoke. You spoke, and I was strengthened and stood upright on my feet. You know, I'm looking for that day. Today, people get excited when somebody is slain in the Spirit. I'm looking forward to when somebody's on their face and God speaks a word and they're slain upward. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, supernaturally, they're stood upright on their feet because the word of the Lord enters into them. But that's what Daniel said. He said, you spoke, and I was strengthened. See, God's word, if you have an open spirit, an open heart, I've watched what God's word's done to people. I've watched it raise people off deathbeds. I've watched God's word put hope in people, and it's put hope in you before, hasn't it? I mean, that's what this whole thing is about. People telling me, like I said in my old blood and guts testimony, having five parole officers telling me, you know, all the time, telling my family how I'll spend the rest of my life in the penitentiary. I'm sorry, a lot of you, this is the first time you've met me. Don't get frightened. Lock the doors. <laughs> but the fact is, you know, I, I have not always been the wonderfully redeemed individual that you are now looking at, if you know what I mean. A lot of people in this nation, it's funny, they, don't have, they think I've been a preacher my whole life, you know. I have not been a preacher my whole life, brother. Please don't get angry at me. <laughs> But, you know, there was a B.C., and I don't mean that before, and that means before Christ. But in those days, you know, I, I, you know I, I had so many people tell me so many things for so long. Faith cometh by hearing. Anderson's an animal. He's going to spend the rest of his life in prison. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And you hear this stuff over and over again until it gets so embedded in your heart, you begin to conform to the image of what you've heard because it becomes a curse in your life. That's all a curse is, remember, is a word that somehow has gone into your spirit and become one with you till you believe it to the point that you begin to act like it. And this is why I tell people over and over and over and over again, if you've ever been cursed, then you're, you've proven that you can be blessed. Because all you have to do is experience the same thing in reverse. Receive a word of blessing because the only antidote for a curse is a blessing. But just like a curse is ultimately its low, at its lowest common denominator, a curse is nothing more than a word, a message, a statement that somebody's made that has wounded you. And some people carry words with them that went so deep, it's been with them for 45 and 50 years. But this is what I mean. All we have to do is put ourselves in a position where the word of God can come, and rather than you being cursed, you're blessed by the same virtue that that word strikes your spirit so deeply that it affects you so strongly that you'll never the same. After that, because if you can be never the same after somebody's wounding you, you can be never the same after somebody's blessing you. Everybody smile at me and say, I know what the guy means anyhow. Anyhow. But your word has revived me and given me life. Verse 63, I just want to run because I've got so many things to do here. Verse 63, I love, listen, listen to David. Like I said, this man, the great psalmist, the great minstrel, the great combatant of the Bible, the man after God's own heart. Verse 63, I am a companion of all those who fear and revere and worship you, and of those who observe and give heed to your precepts. Who do you run around with? I mean, who are your closest associates and your closest friends? Because they will so quickly determine your destiny. In the book of 2 Kings, you'll discover all these statements where basically it speaks of how kings, or rather counselors, determine the destiny of kings. Those whom you have around you, 
will either influence you for the good or for the bad. You all know that. That's why the Bible says to be careful who you fellowship with, to be careful who, you know, that evil companionships, corrupt good manners, all those things. You have to watch. And sometimes when you make a decision for God, I guarantee you it will affect your friendships. But there again, we find out real quickly the difference between acquaintances and friendships, don't we? There are acquaintances and then there are friendships. And you know, you should not align yourself with somebody that's just tearing you down. Something Julie and I have done for a long time, and Julie, God gave her this statement years ago, but one day God just stopped her and said, I want you to pray. Now this may sound harsh, but she said, I want you to pray about every relationship you have. I said, I hope I don't fit in that one. But, <laughs> but she said, you know, really, she said, and I began to pray, God, take out of my life every relationship that's taking me away from you. And I want to tell you something. He began to do it. And sometimes there was a ripping and a tearing. But you know what? Do you want to be valuable to the kingdom? Or You've got to understand, the best thing you can ever do for the world is to love God. The best thing you can ever do for a friend or somebody that you want for a friend is to love God. Really, I mean, that's, that's again, a very simplistic statement. But David said, I'm a companion. See, David made a choice. I'm a companion, even with his failings. This is what I love about him. I'm a companion of them that fear God. Hallelujah. Don't you want to be a companion of them that fear God? You better be, because in the days that are going to come, you know, like I said, we need, we're going to need to be next to them. Verse 81. Here again, listen to his heart. He said, my soul languishes and grows faint for your salvation, but I hope in your word. Psalm 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. It stands firm as the heavens. We're all familiar with that one. Psalm 92, I mean, verse 92. Ah, this is interesting. It simply says, unless your law had been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Now, that may be very simple, but hear that. Unless your law had been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. You see, it's not that trials and testings aren't going to come to your life, but you're going to at some point have to understand this seed principle. Quit letting the seeds of doubt and fear entertain your life. I think I finished this morning by talking about that basic truth out of Corinthians where it says that you need to pull down strongholds and cast down imaginations and every high thing that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God and bring every thought into captivity to the mind of Christ. You have to do that. God won't do that for you. You get to do that. And the way you do that, though, is you have to know the word of the Lord. You have to rehearse the word of the Lord. You have to hold fast to the word of the Lord and trust that that is exactly what, you know, God's going to do. And in Psalm 119, verse 96, it says this. David said this, I have seen that everything human, I love this one, I have seen that everything human has its limits and end, no matter how extensive, how noble and excellent, but your commandment is exceedingly broad and extends without limits into eternity. Hallelujah. And again, I want to just keep saying it. This is the sweet psalmist of Israel. This is the man who gave his heart to such a degree that God said he was a man after his own hearts. He says in verse 97, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies. Hallelujah. Do you want to be wiser than your enemies? You through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for your words are ever before me. And that's important. Your words are ever before me. Now look at now in the same one. Let's go to verse 125. Listen to this one. He said, I am your servant. This is something, again, like I said, I pray almost every day. I am your servant. Give me understanding, discernment, and comprehension that I may know and discern and be familiar with the character of your testimonies, with the character of your testimonies. I thank it again. It was this morning again that I quoted what Paul said. Paul said, I thank God that he's made me an able minister of the spirit of the New Testament, not the letter, because the letter kills, but the spirit of it will give you life. And this is what David's kind of speaking to here, that you might know the character of his testimonies. The next one is Psalm, is, this, is verse 140. And this, again, there's, you know, like I said, every single verse in here has something to this effect, but I just want you to see this. 140, David says, your word is very pure. It's very pure. It's tried and well refined. Therefore, your servant loves it. You know, all I'm trying to communicate is this. This soil of your heart, you know, it, it, it will produce everything that you'll put in it. But what we look at when we study the scripture 
as we look at all manner of men and women who absolutely were in love with God's word and his ways. And so all we're saying, I know it's not a new message, but it's still a critical message. You cannot separate Jesus Christ from the word. In fact, when he returns, what's he got written across his chest? The word of God. I mean, the word of God. Hallelujah. And the thing about this and about seed, remember like I said earlier when we talked about seed, that I said seed has within itself the power to bring itself to pass? See, that's exactly what happened. This is why when you're in the Word for a while, you can even explain things like the virgin birth. Because think about this. Think about, again, the basic pattern of what happened. An angel appears and brings a message to Mary and says, Behold, you shall be with child. But what does Mary say? Mary says, Behold, the handmaiden of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Have you ever actually thought about that? That a message came from heaven. And a young woman, a teenage girl, received a word. Now just hear the basics of it. A young teenage girl received a word from heaven into her spirit, and the word became flesh. I said the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. You see, everything has its beginning in the spirit before it manifests in the flesh. Jesus said in John 6, 63, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And the same thing happens today. If you'll allow the word of the Lord to be received into the womb of your spirit, and if you watch over it and not allow it to be aborted, you will give birth to what the seed has within itself. The word will become flesh. Somebody say hallelujah, please. Just make me feel better. I know, like I said, I'm in England, but give me a break. But this is why, again, we keep saying just keep feeding your spirit if it's healing. Keep feeding your spirit with those healing seeds. If it's finances, you keep feeding your spirit with those financial promises of God. If it's peace of mind, you just keep feeding your spirit because if you watch over that, God's not a man that he should lie. That word will do what it's intended to do. God watches over his word to perform it. His word will not return unto him void. The mass of scriptures that speak to this. The issue is, though, will you hide it in your heart? Will you watch and guard your heart above all that you guard? Will you make sure that no weeds and rubbish begin to get in there and choke and suffocate the word until it bears no fruit? But this is the pattern of heaven. The word is intended by God to become flesh in our lives. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Every promise of God, he wants it to become flesh and come to pass in our lives. And this, to me, when I began to see these things years ago, it just, I don't know why, it just really, it just, all of a sudden I'd see things. And to me, it just got so simple. It's pregnancy. When I first came to this nation 20 years ago, and you're going to laugh when I said this, but I had a hold of these truths, and, I, you know, I didn't have a place to live. I was staying in, the, in this uh, pastor's house, and I was out looking for a flat. And back then, 1983, you know what I mean? There, I, it was difficult in London to find a flat. I'd just come over here, had very little support from the States, didn't have zip, really. And I was trying to find someplace. But I knew that I was going to get one, and I was getting so frustrated, and I'd walk up to the students. I was principal of this Bible school, and I'd walk in in the morning. I wasn't trying to be clever, and I'd say, I just want you to all know I'm pregnant with a flat. And then I'll go, what? And I say, I'm pregnant with a flat. I have prayed. I have released my faith. I have received a flat in the name of Jesus. I have it as sure as I'm standing here. In Jesus' name, I'm pregnant with a flat. I will give birth to a flat. Don't anybody make any comments about my size. <laughs> <laughs> you look like you got a flat in you. You better not say that. But the fact is, you know, they would laugh at me, but they got it because that's what happens. When something strikes your spirit, it can become so real that you carry it as surely as a woman knows she's carrying a child. Let me ask you women something. When you were two months pregnant or one month pregnant, were you any more pregnant at one month technically than you were at eight months? What I mean is, you know what, ladies? I hope this isn't revelation to you. When you're pregnant, you're pregnant. You know what I mean? When you're pregnant, you're pregnant. The moment that seed has interaction with that egg, pregnancy has begun. Life has begun. But how many of you know one week after pregnancy is actually initiated, you may not feel very pregnant? You don't even look pregnant. But I'm here to tell you, you is pregnant. You know what I mean? Now, after a while, there's a gestation period. After a while, you know, you begin to change, don't you, ladies? Trust me, you begin to change. We men know this. <laughs> but the fact, of the, matter, the fact of the matter is, you know, you begin to change in all kinds of ways, not just physically. You get really strange. 
at times, even before the other things happen. But the point is, what happens on the inside begins to affect your mind, your emotions, and your body. But it all starts with that. And you see, this is all we're trying to say. God says your soil. You see, you have to know this because, again, some people, like I said, are always thinking that something has to happen instantly. You have to have faith in the seed. And like people used to say years ago, what kind of a farmer or gardener would you be if you planted seed one day and every day then you went and dug the seed up to see if it was working? <laughs> what would happen to that seed? Well, it would die. And so the issue is, you know, it says here in Mark, if you went back to Mark 4, a little few verses later, it says this is how things work. It says that the farmer, or it says, or the husbandman, he sows the seed, and he says he sleeps, and he rises, and he sleeps, and he rises, and he says suddenly there's a blade, then there's a stalk, then there's a, then there's a full ear, and he said he knoweth not how. <laughs> it's interesting. In other words, seed, you just put it in the ground, and you let it do its work. But don't abort it. See, unfortunately, today we know of people that have gone through abortions, and that's not to condemn either. But the fact is, the greatest abortion you'll ever have is the promises of God in your life. And you can abort them the same way. You see, you can have spiritual abortions uh, only because you receive other seed in there that's the wrong seed. Anyhow, hallelujah. Just in the finally right there in Psalm 119, if I can just read Psalm, uh, verses 160 through 162. David said, the sum... I love this. The sum, in other words, when you add it all up, the sum of your word is truth. The total of the full meaning of all your individual precepts is truth. And every one of your righteous decrees endures forever. Princes pursue and persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. Listen to this. Dreading violation of them far more than the force of prince or potentate. Isn't that a cool scripture? Oh, well. <laughs> I just, I'm going to read it again just for myself, all right? Princes pursue and persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. And remember, who's writing this? David. Who's singing this? David. All the things that happened to him. But, you know, do you think he just wrote this for kicks? In other words, is this, are all these things lies? No, see, this is... I want you to see in these psalms you're able to read into the heart of this man who God said was a man after his own heart. You're reading into the heart of the man who, I repeat, was, even with his failings, the most successful combatant the world's ever known. He was the strongest king outside of Jesus that the world ever knew. And this is where we begin to see why, maybe, huh, duh, you know, some of these things were like they were in his life. He said, I stand in awe of your word. I dread violation of them more than the force of any prince or potentate. I mean, that just sends goosebumps up my back. That's why, I mean, it, to me, it, it becomes delightful when you begin to just look into this and search because this book is full of treasure. In fact, the next verse, verse 162, David said, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great spoil. Hallelujah. In other words, it's the it's, it became the treasure of his life. And if I can just picture David on those balconies, not when he blew it and looked at Bathsheba, <laughs> but I can picture him at the sun in Israel looking through parchments and reading things about the prophets before and about the patriarchs before, because that's what he was doing. And he'd read these things, and then God would give him songs, and then he'd go stand on the balcony and give a balcony performance to all of Israel. Huh, Steve? That's what he did. You wait till you get to heaven. Ask David if Rod was right. You, yeah, I challenge you to. He'll say, he's right. He was right. That's what I did. I stood on the parapets, and I played my lyre, and I sang the songs of heaven. I sang the songs of heaven to my people, and they learned about the God who'd made me king. Hallelujah. Well, just, just excuse me while I have my own party. Hallelujah. What God has promised belongs to us. Now listen to this statement I wrote this afternoon. The justice, the justice of God, the justice of God requires that he makes the seed grow when it's planted and watered. You hear that? John says he is faithful and just. God would be unjust to withhold from us what he's promised if we've done our part to hide it in our hearts. Did you really hear that? It's the justice of God. I, I mean, that just it struck me today. 
if the justice of God requires that he makes the seed grow, in other words, you have to understand, you can put yourself in a position, now, I, oh God, please don't let him mishear this. I always get in trouble. You can live in such a way that God becomes obligated to move in your behalf. Now, I guarantee you, I grant you rather, there's a lot of things you have to learn about the mercies and the graces of God so that you don't keep disqualifying yourself all the time because of, leaving, because of living legalistic, because of all the junk that's been preached to us over the years. But the mercies of my God are brand new every morning. And He, you know, he loves me with an everlasting love. And he's not up there with this list of critiquing, looking at every wrong thing I do. He knows how imperfect I am, and he loves me anyhow. That's why I love him so much. He knows every stupid thing about me and still loves me. And I don't know if this is news to you or not, but he knows every one of your shortcomings. And he still loves you with an everlasting love. He will never leave you, ever. He will never, ever leave you. It's still the greatest message. In 1 John, I love it. Everybody preaches a million things. But I love 1 John. It says, this is the message. <laughs> you know, there's one major central message of all Scripture. This is the message, that you love one another like God loved us. Hallelujah. All the commandments of God are summed up in the one that we should love one another. Hallelujah. But when you get the revelation, of that's what I mean. God delights in His children when they begin to walk in truth. And I'm just saying, this is when you begin to understand. You put God in a position. I mean, I know I'm going in a thousand directions, but listen to me. I don't know if you know this or not, but I know what the Old Testament says, but we're not under the Old Covenant. We're under a New Covenant. God no longer disregards us. When we miss it, God does not withdraw His favor from us. That's what Hebrews 8 says. still upsets all kinds of people when you say that, but it's the truth. People teach all over the place that when you mess up, God stands apart from you. That's a lie. You better read your Bible clearly. You better read Hebrews. You better find out about this New Testament. But the point is this. You will not offend God. I said, you will not offend God. I'll say it louder if you want me to. Just to upset every religious demon in the joint. <laughs> you will not offend God now because the offense of all mankind was laid on His Son. I didn't say you couldn't do things that will upset fellowship, but you'll never mess with relationship because He loves you that much. My daughter over there, I always, you know, I hate to always use things, but I can't help my daughter or my son. Anna can miss it in a thousand different directions, and she can actually cause a problem in our fellowship but I want to tell you something. Our relationship doesn't change. And I don't care how out of fellowship she might be with me. Woe unto them who touch her. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm her dad. She can make, she can, she can make a thousand mistakes, and I can be disappointed. I can, we can be out of fellowship. But woe unto somebody that tries to hurt her. They're going to meet something they don't want to meet. But that may sound humorous, but I want you to understand. You see, for you to think that God will turn you over to the devil because you miss it and you've sinned against him, you don't know the Father heart of God very well. If I can feel that way as an earthly father, <laughs> you have no idea how powerful the simple verse is that reads, if God be for you, if God be for you, who can be against you? See, we've got to see and get a fresh revelation of who God is. Anyhow, it would be unjust of God not to fulfill what He's promised if we've done our part to hide it in our hearts. Paul said, He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him. But God does not promise to keep anything that is not committed to it. This is why you have to commit your heart, and commit your ways to Him, and commit your, you know, commit your faith to Him. In Jesus' name, I am the healed of the Lord. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And you can tell when somebody's committed because they speak differently. They begin to speak in faith. They begin to speak what the word of the Lord says as opposed to speaking what they feel at the moment. And God works with that because it's called faith. Promised and offered gifts. The only other thing I wanted to say just before we stop is all of his gifts are not only promised, but they're offered. And therefore, they need to be accepted. And the responsibility for the transfer is ours. In other words, though they're promised, they're offered. But you have to accept them. And that's what brings us back to the principle of faith. Remember what I said earlier. Everything that grace has made available, faith has to obtain. Everything. Everything. 
And that's what this is all about. You see, but the thing that hit me was when I wrote this, actually I read this out of Bosworth's book. He said, he said, when you realize this, that every gift is not only promised but offered and needs to be accepted, this clears God of all responsibility for any failure. <laughs> this clears God of any responsibility for any failure because he has done his part. It's up to us to do the receiving part. Your hearts are receivers. There's television signals in this room. There's radio signals in this room. You can't hear them. You can't see them. But are they in this room? What do you need? You need a receiver. If we were to plug in a receiver with an antenna, you would pick up radio. You would pick up television signals. You could see pictures. They're in this room. But just because you can't see them doesn't mean they're not here. God's word and the capacity for faith is in this room. And once you plug in to the right source and tune that receiver in, you'll get the same picture that others have been giving, getting for thousands of years. And you'll begin to see your healing and hear the message of heaven. And it'll change your life forever. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Well, Father, we just thank you for the, again, God, this at the entrance of your word, for the washing of the water of the word of God. We ask that in Jesus' name you would just pour forth wisdom upon us that she would allow us to finally make that final decision to let the Word of God have final authority in our lives. Hallelujah. I mean final authority, Father. At some point in our life, I know the tape stopped, but that's okay. <laughs> At some point in our life, Father, we need to allow the Word of Heaven to have final authority to where the world says this, but God's Word says this. Father, we know that there are facts and there are truth. The fact may be we don't feel well, but the truth is Jesus Christ himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. The facts may be my bank account is low, but the truth is I have sown, I'm a tither, and the devourer is rebuked for my sake, and my God will meet my every need. In every man's life, there's a choice to be made whether to live by the facts or to live by the truth. And, oh God, I pray that you show us all that if we would just be faithful to keep applying the truth to whatever the present facts are, that the facts will have to change because truth will never change. I, just, I love that. Truth is eternal. And if somehow, like a plaster, like a medicine, or like a poultice, if we can skip the picture, if we would make application of truth to the current facts, the facts are the only things that can change because truth never changes. So, Lord, we trust you to guide us into this and that it would become something living and just alive in our spirits in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hallelujah.